0: Live from Asheville, North Carolina, it's Josh and Tom Devour the World.
1: Yum, 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 yum. yum.
0: I am one half of your hosting team, Josh Battenhorst. And I am at least the other half, Tom Chalmers. (laughs) And uh, this is your weekly podcast where we uh, get together with ourselves and we check in about what we have been eating, drinking, and thinking or otherwise. We
1: put those same questions to our guests of interest and
0: find out what they've been up to. And uh, we are very excited that we have our very first ever repeat guest on the podcast, someone that we couldn't be happier to be bringing back uh, to you, our listeners, and just for ourselves. Glynis Redmond is back with us today. Thank you, Glynis, for joining us. I am happy to be your first return guest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so nice. Yeah, we will
1: uh, want to talk to you about specifically uh, something that you've been devouring of late. We like having guests on so that the topic naturally lends to what they've been about lately. Um, but just quick reminder, yeah, we loved having you on. I, I feel like you were the first episode where we were like, hey, I'm going to tell people to listen to this. I, that one <laughs> yeah. was good, um, <laughs> and we've been building ever since. But yeah, it was your yeah your your conversation skills and your ability to, to follow a thread uh, w- was nice. And we, we, Stop. Stop. we learned Keep from coming. your <coughs> visit and
0: have been... Uh, trying to duplicate that uh, ever since but for anyone who has not met you glennis or who did not listen to the first podcast maybe you could introduce us to your to who you are and and kind of what you do and so that uh, our listeners can get uh, you get to, to know you a little bit
2: Shame if they have not listened to the podcast before.
0: You don't know me? You don't
2: know us? Okay. Uh, So uh, I am a poet. That's the label. I'm a a poet, a teaching artist, uh, imagination activist, an essayist. And um, the last uh, title that I've just added to all of that is um, creative expressionist. So that means that I just dabble in the creative world. Right now I'm dyeing clay from, dyeing cloth from red clay because I'm red clay obsessed down here in South Carolina. And that has a lot of thread to, I mean, little thread and just in my work as a poet. And then also my walk as an African-American, Afro-Carolinian, you know, so uh, I am a Gaga to a six-year-old grandson and a new granddaughter of
1: four, almost four months.
0: Wow. Congratulations. Yes. yes. Very exciting.
1: And, and yes, your creative expression continues. Last time you were with us, you were fabulous in orange. And today, you are working a, a lovely silver ensemble with your glasses and, and dangling earrings. It's great.
2: I appreciate you noticing, Tom. I love my metallics. So, and you know, when I was growing up, you couldn't mix metallics. And so like, I love, so I'm wearing silver glasses to match my newly um, embraced silver gray hair. Um, And then my silver and um, I'm sorry, listeners, that you are not catching all the fabulousness, fabulousness, you know, of the dangle earring, the the chandelier um, silver and bronze golden earrings. But thank you. Um, I believe in color. I believe
0: you should. Everything goes. Absolutely. Well, um, let's get to play in our game, Tom, shall we not? I, I, uh, we always like to talk to each other a little bit about what we've been devouring of late, um, you know, and we've Tom, we've been having a, a more opportunities to go out and devour parts of the world together as things have started to open it yeah. up. And that's been true until just very recently in which you got very busy. So, uh, so I, I really am curious to see what, what have you been devouring, uh, Mr. Chalmers?
1: Well, my devour, uh, it's not that I was, uh, consuming it in great quantities, but just came back into contact with something that I hadn't really thought of in a while and then noticed a, a similar reaction from everybody involved and that are jello shots. Um, I got to go to the lake house, uh, with my wife, we go to visit her sister and uh her partner they live you know really nice house on the lake and she's just a great host so there's all things that are sort of packed for the boat for the day um coolers and things and all of a sudden she takes out the little uh, tupperware like oh there's also jello shots you know. and there's like uh <laughs> lemon and berry of some kind and it's very funny everyone has sort of differing reactions they're like jello shots really what are we 15 you know, but everyone has all these opinions and thing. but everyone takes one and then you uh, and they're in the little like Um, clear plastic, you know, solo cups with the lids, uh, because she thinks about these things. Uh, And then you go and then what I love how people try to interact with it. Like, do you just try to suck it out of the cup? Do you use your finger? Um, There is a wooden spoon if you think to ask for it kind of thing, Um, but you do so. And then even though people are like, ugh you know, they may not even like the flavor. (laughs) they still are frustrated that they can't get to the little bit of jello <laughs> that's left in the crevices of the solo cup. So they're like, ah, eh. <laughs> um, So I was just, just very entertained that uh, whatever your age we had kind of, you know, a, Young 20s to into our 60s, everyone had a similar experience of sort of rolling their eyes about the concept of jello shots and then stretching their face and fingers in any possible contortion to get every last little granule of that (laughs) jello shot.
2: Can I confess that I have had jello, but I've never had a jello shot ever in my life?
0: Wow! Mm-hmm. Breaking news. If we if we had one of those scrolls that came across the bottom <laughs> of the thing, it would say Glennis Redmond admits to never having Jello shots before. Um, but I here's one thing though. Like like just on the topic of Jello. I, I know we we're not supposed to just use this as a platform for complaining, Tom, but I, I've never really appreciated Jell-O as, as, as in any of its offerings, frankly. Like, I mean, uh, like Jell-O shot is like kind of, for me, like, I mean, if you're going to do a shot, you might as well just do the shot. And like Jell-O, also it's like, if you're going to do the lime Jello, I mean, eat a lime, I don't know. I just like, like, there's something that's unsatisfying to me about just the gelatinous and there's just not a lot to it and it disappears in your mouth. I'm not a big fan of Jell-O.
2: Well, you were not raised by Jeanette Redmond in the 70s. You mentioned Tom, you mentioned Tupperware. Yes. Which Tupperware and Jell-O goes hand in hand because they had the Tupperware parties. My mother would get these like um, Tupperware fluted like glasses and then make gelatin desserts mm. gelatin whipped cream you know you could not tell us that face. not the end all be all you know well, that yeah, the black martha stewart of the neighborhood with the jell i I'm not, I, I'm just saying, I'm just speaking on behalf of Jell-O. Yes,
1: uh, and it's all about portion allocat- allocation kind of thing. So again, you have the individual portions that then all fit nicely into the Tupperware, which then stacks nicely with the other Tupperware that has right. your potato salad and everything. It's about packing for the day.
2: Packing for at the
1: some day. And- we need a little yeah. thing you know, to like, all of a sudden, put out a little bar and get shot glasses going. It's tricky out on a boat, um, but everybody can have a Jello shot in the middle of the lake. <laughs>
2: she must be a burgo with the lids and the wooden spoons. Like I'm like, okay, like that's a lot of planning. Like that, and I'm not. I I get you, Josh. I jello is not my thing but i just know culturally the 70s like you really couldn't have the
0: 70s without jello i don't think i think or corduroy so or or, you know all that my like disappointment comes from is like is also from an early age because like my sister was always the kid who wanted to pack her lunch and like have it in the brown bag and take her own thing to school because she knew what was kind of in it. And I was always like, I don't know, just give me whatever the cafeteria's got, you know. But the thing that would always happen is like if the, that that day you would get the dessert and it was just jello. Jello is always such a disappointing dessert for me of just like the little glop of jello True. That's True. Stuck on the cafeteria, you know, tray. As your what this is this is what we get today? Oh okay.
2: True that, and especially if it's like green jello, I think. Like I think green jello might be the worst. But in the black community, we really and I don't think I'm like putting us on blast anyway, but we love our red dye. We loved our red dye number five. Like so anything cherry flavored, like um, so including jello, you know, that's I was out this week at brunch with my niece um and nephew. Um and I had been, we've been trying to do brunch for two years and then, you know, COVID and cancer happened. And so we finally did it. So we went and had um uh bottomless mimosas. Mm. And they were like giving us different the choices where you can do like premium with the multi flavor. Oh boy. And then so they were like, Do you want regular juice and whatever? And then like we have fruit flavor. And of course the fruit flavor was chair, and we all look at each other and we're like, we're black. We want the truth, you know? (laughs) I was just like, there again, it's a stereotype, but I want to hold fast that all stereotypes are not negative and um, have some truth.
0: Well, I I think also, Fruit, you know, fruit is making a comeback in the world for a long time, I think, as in its popularity of uh, fruity things, because I'm seeing more and more like, you know, seltzers like with uh, that are fruit flavored and and beers that are fruit flavored and things, you know, so I I think fruit flavoring is getting it's 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 having a new day, like a little renaissance of fruit flavoring. But I'm with you. Like, really, it's
2: good to have just the brute. Like, I'm I I'm not an advocate of red dye number five. That I was saying that facetiously. <laughs> I know it's off the market and it's not a good thing. But I'm just saying it's a thing. Like, it's a thing. Like, you're not going to ask us about the grape and the lime. It's it's cherry. Like, it's red. Like, <laughs> give, us, just
1: give us the red. And I'm all about the real fruit. Like, you know. So. Yeah. And also to be clear, Josh, I'm not reaching past the brownie to get to Jello. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. He does that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, Gliss, one of the reasons that we wanted to bring you back onto the show was um, I follow you wherever I can. One of those places being Facebook, and I noticed that you took uh, a bit of a pilgrimage recently. And um, just knowing, just knowing you, and, and seeing some of the insights that you had from from visiting this, I I just wanted to bring you back on the show to let you share. Um, that experience with our audience and and share what you've learned and what you um, and what we can learn from your experience.
2: Sure. And thanks for the follow. Um, uh, before I get to that because I think it kind of goes down a, a a deep path, I do want to say a little bit about what I've been eating.
0: Oh, okay, please do. <laughs> Portobello mushrooms. Mm. Oh, yes. I
2: yeah. in the world have what's my problem? Like why am I now just figuring out? how amazing portobello mushrooms are. Like, I'm not a vegan or vegetarian, but I'm ish on both. So eating a lot more vegetables. And there is a sandwich by this company, this restaurant in town called Two Chefs and they have a portobello grinder and it has port, port it's a baguette. Okay. With mozzarella cheese.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Um, roasted zucchini and squash okay and a pesto if you can do pesto i can't do the pesto and um another sauce that i can't do that's made out of um tomatoes and garlic that you brush that is the best sandwich on the planet to me you get the crust you get the that melt of the mozzarella and the portobello mushroom i mean i find myself dreaming about that and just driving (laughs) over just to have that (laughs) And I was, uh, uh, you know, so I I'm getting no kickbacks from two two chefs. I just want to say, but and then one day I realized, why don't I just make it? Just do it yourself, yeah. I went to Whole, you know, went to Whole Foods, got me some good bread, got a portobello mushroom, and I'm not I'm I'm not going to get say I'm in competition with them, but I'm just going to say it was fulfilling, you know. Nice. <laughs> so I'm about the portobello grinder. Have so I don't know if any if you guys ever had any relationship to mushrooms, but mushrooms have been saving my life uh, right now.
0: Well, we have a direct connection to mushrooms. Just the previous episode, uh, our our friend Aaron Cruz was on talking about entheogenic mushrooms, which these yeah. are <laughs> a little yeah. bit different. But, uh, you know, uh, and then uh, but we just this last a couple of weeks ago, we went down to Atlanta and went to H Mart, which is a huge um multicultural store but mostly asian food and one of and amber uh, my partner is vegan and so there's lots of things that um got their sort of start in the asian world that can be used as vegan and, and used in different ways and one of which is the king oyster mushroom so which are these real big kind of mushrooms and what you can do is you can cut them in half and you take your your fork and run it run the tongs along the lengthways on the mushroom and it will pull apart and give kind of like the consistency of a pulled pork or a pulled chicken. And then you can flavor that and put it, and we did it on tacos. Very, I would highly recommend the, the King oyster mushroom taco. If you know, with the flavor, if you flavor it right. And uh, it doesn't have the exact consistency of a meat, but it, but it's that, but it's delicious. Delicious. king
2: oyster i'm tr- i wonder if in greenville i would even have access to that or do i have to go to atlanta to get me a king oyster mushroom you, I you know mushrooms
0: but not king. Oyster. you might try one of the if you've got asian. I'm sorry, the asian markets and uh, may have them there i would think um okay. but uh that yeah the king king oyster mushroom and you and they're pretty easy to make there's some great recipes online and uh, again the taco there you go tom you give mushroom. me life you give me life
2: <laughs> that is giving me life because I love it because I mean, I'm like, the texture is there, the taste is there. And, you know, I mean, everybody's not on for mushrooms, but I lately, my body, what I'm doing, I I, I said I'm not vegan or uh, vegetarian or any of those things. My daughter has this uh, new phrase for me, and she says it's out there in the world, but she said, Mom, you're an intuitive eater. And that's what I've been doing, um, you know. Yeah, you know, after the cancer is just like listening to my body and trying to see what it wants. And I've just
0: been paying attention and it's been really fulfilling. Um, There's also a great um, mushroom like bouillon. We use that for whenever anybody in our house has a little bit of like a tummy, like, you know, just doesn't kind of upset uh, as opposed to like a chicken or a beef or it doesn't have as much fat in it, but it's still nice and
2: salty.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah also you're, look for are you no you're also found at the asian food markets <laughs> that's what that's i what.
2: am missing out i'm sleeping i walk i drive by the asian food mart but i need to just go on a step in there and Not get out. No. medicine yeah. which is magic <laughs>
1: um i will speak to this quickly which is uh mushrooms and onions have a specific place in my rejected food menu just uh-huh. never really cared for them and they are always featured on pizzas in my family growing up my family loved those mm. but for me mushrooms a are easy to find easy to pick up and easy to flick so i never i've always had a, a fine relationship with mushrooms They're like okay you're not my thing but yeah. uh, you know we, we we get along whereas <laughs> onions are like because mm, they just find a way to like bury them in food and they permeate the flavor of everything so onions Mushrooms, kind of thing. Yeah, onions are the country music of my life. We're just like I just can't stand it. You know, (laughs) creates a reaction in me that is uh, not completely level to the actual impact.
2: Well, I completely understand. I don't know if I talked last time about I have an allium allergy or intolerance, so I can't do onions or garlic. Okay. And they literally will lay me flat for three days, especially raw. And Um,
1: yes, but again, mushrooms. Mushrooms, yeah, they, they, you know. they, they let you know they're there. You you can, you can know that's what you're eating when you're eating it. Uh, it's sort of easy to remove it from your mouth mid-chew. You're like, oh, no, thank you. Uh. <laughs> um, and it doesn't sort of sliver you know, slither its way down your throat and just sort of camp out in your stomach. I don't know if my
2: throat. palates just changed because I never was like a big mushroom person. But like I said, this year, the portobello mushrooms speak in a certain love language to, you know, to me so
1: uh, and I do appreciate things like cauliflower or other ways that really just hold the seasoning well uh, so I feel like with some mushrooms they're like yeah if you cook it at the center of a lot of other flavorful things um you'll be happy
2: I think the roasted capacity has a whole lot to do with the taste of these veggies and stuff that are happening yes. and I'm I'm feeling the
0: love of the roast roasted yeah well, I, last summer, because I kind of sl- slowed down a little bit and had a knee injury and was walking a lot as opposed to running through the woods, mm-hmm. um, it was about this time last year that I started to notice the woods near my house just kind of blossomed with a bunch of mushrooms. And I started to find some varieties of edible mushrooms and, and forage them in the forest. There's a beautiful blue mushroom, uh, called, it's an indigo mushroom. And it's a, it makes a, it, it has a lot of properties to a portobello, but with like maybe a little bit of a pepper taste to it as well. And then uh, chanterelles, of course, are the bright orange ones. And, and those are very, very tasty. They do exactly what Tom was saying. Anything you want to seize them them with, they will just soak it up and, and deliver that to your, to your brain uh, via the tongue (laughs) in a delightful manner.
2: The whole foraging thing, I have a fear of because I watched the movie Into the Wild. And um, so I don't even trust my app when it says it's an okay, (laughs) true. I just can't get up. You're so brave to me. That's so inspirational. But if it's in the woods, it's going to stay in. I need somebody else to do that work for me (laughs) because- (laughs) <laughs> i think that scene that last scene you know where he i, I you know don't want to spoil this 20 year old movie or 15 year old movie for anyone but you know what he's the mushrooms and well, you know
0: there's only three and the three the three that i will eat and all of them are very easy to recognize chanterelles are not i mean there is a false chanterelle but they but they really once you've seen one and you've felt one they yeah. feel a little bit different than everything else oh i'm gonna say four because uh also the uh the morel mushroom looks unlike anything else. And it also grows it earlier in the season than most of the other mushrooms. The indigo, which we just talked about is blue. It's one of the, I mean, it is purple when it sits there on the ground. So you're like, yeah. that's, that's definitely, there's not another one that looks like it. And, uh, and then the lobster mushroom, which is actually, uh, it's also, uh, it's a, it's a tougher mushroom. And so, yeah, all of those, I, I will forage those. None of none of the other ones, none of the little brown ones okay. that, you know, so.
2: Well, I can't wait to um, Google the indigo mushroom. Like I am just a fan, as you know, of nature. And that's been part of my journey. And to get into that part of these journeys that I've been taking is, you know, once I uh, got through my stem cell transplant and started feeling better, which I'm still recovering, but one of the things that um, kept me alive is I would give myself projects in a list of things to do. And what I realized is that I needed to... uh, write these lists down and choose when I would go on these things. And a lot of these things I wouldn't do before I had cancer because I was touring the world. And I would just say, oh, it'd be a great idea one day, one oh, day I night, yeah. you know. And so I had this thought last month, I said, uh, I'm gonna do two lists. And uh, the one is like um, an ancestral, um, most people know it as a bucket list, but let's call it a life-giving list. Like these places where it would be important to me as a a black woman, um, uh, I would call them sacred sites uh, that I would need to go. And then the other site is these, um, what I call uh, natural wonders, uh, so, you know different state parks their national parks one i can take my grandson to the other one he's six and he probably it's a little bit weighted right now so he gets to go to the natural wonder sites we uh, we uh bought the state pat the state park pass and there's 54 in south carolina so we we've done two okay. and we're gonna hit all of those and so i call them life-giving because i feel like you know you know with the battle of cancer on it just you know, you, I really, you know, I, I, am just coming to terms with during the stem cell. I, 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 I made the choice to live. I could have easily left the planet. And I remember the moment, you know, in the hospital on morphine and chemo of going, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live. So I will myself to live. And so these journeys, these ancestral pilgrimages, I'm calling them too. Um, the one that I took most recently, uh, not the most recently, just because I took one before then I'll explain the other one. But I decided I wanted to go to Montgomery, Alabama, and go to the Legacy Museum, and it's I knew, and that if for people who don't know about it, you know, Brian Stevenson is part of you know building this this site for uh, to honor to memorialize people, black people who have been lynched across the country. And one of the ways I saw it early on a few years ago was they would go and get uh, soil from the place where people have been lynched and they put it in these glass jars and they would put their name, the state and the date of their birth and the you know when they were lynched. And so I had always had that in the back of my mind that I needed to go there. And then just last month, I just said, what is stopping you? yeah some, some gas in yourself you know <laughs>
0: yeah and
2: so i uh just told people what i was doing in my family they're like you're going to alabama you know cuz yeah. when you on purpose <laughs> 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 like you- <laughs> is that yeah like on purpose you're doing that you know yeah. intentionally like and, you know, there is still that little bit of terror, you know, of, yeah, you're in South Carolina, but it's that whole, like, at least we're not Mississippi or, you know, Alabama and because it's intense, you know, um, and to go for the reason I was going, but it wasn't an intentional journey and it was, um It felt like, you know, I wasn't calling it a pilgrimage when I went, but indeed after I got back, I realized that was a pilgrimage. Like I needed to go there. And I was on the phone with my nephew who lives in Alabama and I was trying to see if I was going to visit him and he was further out. So I didn't, but I said, well, what if I run into Brian Stevenson. He said, Well, you know, my friend did run into him. So you might. I'm like, wow, that would be so cool. So literally I'm on the phone with him, drive into Montgomery, um, go in to check into the the, the hotel, the Marriott, the, where I'm staying. I come back out, and there is Brian Stevenson in a mustard yellow shirt. Hey. And I'm like, okay, thank you, Divine. And I run over like a crazed fangirl. And blurt my life story in two minutes, uh, overshare, and you know took a picture. And his thing that he said to me was this museum, because I was telling him about my cancer walk and what this meant to me and how powerful this experience was gonna be. And he said, this museum was built for people like you. And he was so gracious. And that was the beginning. It felt like the, the door opening to my pilgrimage. Um, and then I spent the next day at the museum, and then at the memorial. And it was one of the most impactful and powerful moments uh, that I've experienced in my life.
0: Wow. That's, that's really um, just crazy. I
1: Go ahead, Tom. Uh, yeah, I'd like to hear how it is uh, laid out. I know museums are really smart in, in terms of what you experience first, and then going on. But just in case everybody doesn't know, yeah, Brian Stevenson is part of the Equal Justice Initiative, and uh, the Just Mercy movie that came out that, that was sort of made available for free on streaming platforms uh, during a lot of the social unrest last spring. So they're like, hey, w- watch this movie, um, yes. which was uh, yeah, uh, really nicely done. So yeah, if anyone was not getting that reference, but yeah, so that is my question. So how did they work it? Um, you know. Uh, just curious, you know, going to like the Holocaust Museum and otherwise, I know sometimes it can be an experiential part of sort of being asked to trace one person as you go through.
2: I've been to the Holocaust Museum, which was powerful, which I thought, you know, after a day of work and working in the inner city, I thought I would go to the Holocaust Museum afterwards, which I don't know why I felt like I had the capacity to go to the Holocaust. This is me completely not getting how much energy yeah. <laughs> one of these things, the shoes got me, you know, yeah. like. At the Holocaust Museum, I just literally was a pool at the end. By the end, and um, the Legacy Museum is a much smaller square footage museum. Mm-hmm. But whoever designed it, I haven't looked up to see who the designers were. But in in some ways, it's one of the most impactful museums I've ever been to right. in such a small square uh, footage uh, space. And I think that might lend to the intimacy of the experience. Yeah. Um, and the way there were only, it was time tickets because of COVID, and they would let 15 people in at a time. And so we we're already on the street lined up. So I had a 9.30 arrival time. And I don't know why I didn't do nine o'clock, but I just didn't want to be that geek. So I was there at 9.30 because I was like, I'll be a little cool, like be a little cool, like I'm going to be knocking on the door, you know, like, hey, let me in. Um, so I was there at 930. And just even the just standing out in the line, it had that experience of a pilgrimage, mm-hmm. like, because, you know, there are people there because they want it to be there. So you always already have the shared like minded experience. And so I was in front of an interracial couple, black woman, white, man. And of course, I have a hard time of staying in my own lane and zone, if you can't tell. So, you know, I'm always, you know, Um, so we're in line and it's hot. I'm, I'm We are complaining a little bit. And then I just, I stopped complaining. I said, well, you know what, you know what, let's, you know, this complaining, you know, what our ancestors went through in the cotton field and what we're about that, like, this is my, so I just want to say, let's put everything in perspective that, you know, and, and we were like, you're right, you're right, you're right. And so, um, but it's so funny talking to her and her husband because we started sharing these different sites and places we've been. So we already said, you know, have you tried the Whitney Plantation? Have you gone here? You know, so it was already an experience before I got in the door. And then when you get in the door there, I think it's kind, it's it's not kind of impactful. They, it's, it's incredibly impactful that they, take the town of Montgomery and talk about the slave depots and the auction blocks, and they have it mapped out on a map. So you literally see where our ancestors were sold, what uh, companies and um, banks had slaveholding money. So it kind of you, you get grounded in a lot of knowledge and local knowledge, which is interesting because that local knowledge to me is very, you can transfer it to any Southern town in America. Mm-hmm. And then the next impact that you have is they have slave pens. I have never seen a slave pen. I've heard of them, slave narratives, I've heard of them, I've seen them in movies, but to have a representation of a slave pen just kind of it takes your breath and then they have holograms of actors reading slave narratives and these holograms just are like ghostly figures you know and I think there are I think there might be five but don't count I'm not a counter so I don't know exactly um how many five six I don't know but the two narratives that really stood out to me is one is a woman who's just singing a negro spiritual and it's just it's just, it's just kind of, her, her song is haunting and it's just moving to the air like a cloud. And you cannot not be moved by that. I'm just like, I can't, you know, I'm just, you're already, before you hear any words, you're like, and then the other one that moved me, it was two children who were enacting two enslaved children, maybe one age five and one age three, and they're holding hands and they're in cotton sack cloths. Mm. And they're just saying, mama, mama. And they're just looking around. And I was like, okay, I, that's how you begin the museum. And uh so I had already taken the mindset of, I'm just here. I'm going to experience, I'm going to read as many panels as I possibly can. I'm going to just be with it. And so they had Um, documentaries, uh, they had markers, they had sculpture, they had quotes, they had, and so it goes from basically slavery to present day with the um, the the incarcerations of black youths. And uh, when you leave there was this experience where there's a kind of like a outer room that you go into that's golden Mm like we're speaking of metallics. It's like a metallics on the wall. And it's um, and it's like all the freedom fighters, the names that they have the pictures and the names. I mean, I, it was really the first time I really got to really truly breathe after going through that whole experience because I felt like I was holding my breath throughout. But what was hard for me was um, when I was, keeping time with is my hometown, Greenville, South Carolina, keeping up with the people who were lynched, the, you know, the, the soil from Greenville, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And then also where I went to college due west, there was a, a lynching in Abbeyville. And, a, you know, just that knowledge of I went through four years of college there and never knew about this lynching, which is the case, you know, this erasure of history. So that's one of the reasons that I was going there is to in some way, reconcile these stories. A lot of them I know because of uh, me being a poet and unearthing those kind of stories. But really trying to uh, reconcile.
1: Wow, uh, I love that they think about not only the entry but the uh, the release as well, yeah. rather than just sort of stepping out a door onto like yeah. the sidewalk. They yeah. they thought about we got to get you ready to go back out too. Yeah.
2: yeah, it was. And I said, I don't know who designed it because it's like, you you go in, it's enclosed. It's kind of like in the way you go in, it's a little bit of feels like what you would, I think, feel being forced into a slave pen. You know, you kind of get this right. kind of being corralled, like cattle, you know, like cattle, you know, so you get that kind of that's what I felt and then you kind of enter into this room that opens up a little bit but it doesn't open up a whole lot it's not big but so you're still having to you're interacting with the panels the text the 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 video and and I was I went by myself so I was kind of like with a mask on you know to myself when there are families and couples and I was just by myself but you know, oddly enough, I had people kept. You know, people were kept coming up to me. I had one uh, one of the docents who came up and told me her story. You know, it was uh, about her grandfather who was shot. You know, it was just it was experiential to say the least. You know, and that's and I and it, I'm not doing it justice, but well, I felt like you know it was really clever and intelligent and really well thought out on how to unfold that experience for people.
0: I'm looking at some of the images of the museum that they have kind of online, and there are these, I, I'm trying to describe it, is there are these kind of, looks like there's these wooden blocks that are hanging from uh, beams, and then underneath it is maybe maybe that's where the, the, the dirt from the locations lies. Could you tell okay. me?
2: So the dirt, which I couldn't take a picture of, you you if you're on my Instagram, you can, and I think I did post. They only did the Alabama ones at the center where you can get a picture of them in the museum. You can't take um, any pictures. Okay. So those blocks that you're seeing, they're at the Memorial Garden, which was the second leg of my journey. So I got in a shuttle after having all that experience to go to the Memorial Garden. Okay. And you go into that Memorial Garden. There's this incredible. Um, sculpture of enslaved folks. And then there's this powerful quote that's on the wall. And then you walk, like you're in a garden, like a beautiful garden. And then you get to those structures. And I don't know if they're wooden, I don't know if they're metal, they look rusted to me. Okay, But they also, to me, as a poet, how I interpret it, it feels like coffins in a way. Like, you know, they're hanging. I don't know what they are, I don't know. I guess you can find out what they're made out of. But when you start in, there looks, and they're all by state and they're they got the county they got the person's name and their birth death and they just they're sitting but as you start you're kind of like not on necessarily ground level but they're lower but as you keep going it keeps winding and winding they get higher and higher and higher okay, okay. And by the time you get out, they're hanging over your head. Okay. And that was the most dizzying experience. And to me, it's like looking up and looking and thinking about you in a body that's hanging from a tree. That's what I got. Yeah. Um, and then when you go out in the garden, they have them laid out down like coffins. Mm-hmm. So you're having the full, they use the space incredibly and i thought it was so effective and so palpable and visceral
0: well one of the things that just jumps off the screen just looking at the pictures and i invite anyone who's listening to take a look but just the sheer number is also just you know and each one of those is a story and just opportunities lost and um i mean it's it's really overwhelming it really
2: is That number is it is and at some point I had to disconnect in a way to even make myself through those numbers, you know what I mean, because it was it's to think that this is America. And then to start having ownership with these people based on where I'm from South Carolina like and then. I think by the time I got to Texas was was at the end. I called my daughter who's living in Texas, and I just had to. I had taken a picture of the row of, you know, i was just like, oh yeah, that county, that kind, you know. And so you're speaking of like, especially like the sundown towns or the 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 places, the towns that we know even today that are out, very racist. And um, so to to know that this is part of our legacy, and then be in the heat of you know people trying to. Um, shut down CRT, the critical race theory, or, or at least the conversation about race, or any of this kind of stuff, is just atrocious. You know, it it doesn't do service to the African Holocaust that took place in America.
1: Yeah. Gladys, I wanted to ask you about your reaction to all this as a as an artist. Um, you spoke how you hadn't gone previously because you were sort of busy being a professional touring artist. Um, I'm wondering if you had seen this maybe earlier in your career if you would have sort of feel, felt almost nagged by what can I do to capture this what can I do to create a you know impactful you know poem or whatever but it seems like now you're able to go like I'm just here I'm not going to worry about how this is going to turn into a piece I'm not going to worry about having to uh, translate this into something I'm, I'm just going to be here um, yeah. do, do, do you feel anything with that maybe earlier you would have felt a little overly compelled to try to come up with some great impactful piece from it?
2: I don't know if that, earlier if I would have been compelled, I knew I felt compelled to go earlier on, but I think you're right in the second part of, I really was, I was, it just was purely experimental. And then also as a dutiful daughter of my ancestry to just go and pay homage. And what was powerful for me was there is um, a poem at the end of the um, Memorial Garden and it's by Elizabeth Alexander. She was one of our, you know, uh, um, uh, President Obama's inaugural poets uh, and it's called Invocation. And so it felt very sacred. It felt very, you know, like I kept saying pilgrimage. It felt just something that I needed to connect with um, during such a tumultuous time. So I don't know if I, I still don't feel a need. I, I know that I will, I, the, it, the creative expressionist is probably more going, you know, working with the red clay, dyeing fabric from red clay, making um, a map, um, con- connecting the dots in, in more uh, palpable ways. I know something will come out of it. It, The the coming out of it is the process and the journey. And so I don't know if a poem is necessary. I just know that for me to get on this other side of living, it's necessary for me to acknowledge, highlight and raise
1: awareness. Uh, Well, great. Well, thank you. That is, you know, Josh is again, really, uh, follows you with great interest. And he said, I, we got to have Glennis back on. She just did this thing that uh, I just want to hear her speak to it directly. Um, so that's what we wanted and that's what you gave us. So uh, thanks for that. that. That was, yeah, and I, I hope that people are here and, and if they're anywhere near uh, that they want to do that. And for one, I understand that uh, Montgomery is just a city that people, you know, I've had some friends who sort of got, you know, teaching assignments there. They're like, this is a city that I was not expecting. It's like, it's hard to describe, but uh, this is a city. If you get a chance, uh, come through, you know?
2: Yeah, I don't think I've ever been to Montgomery. I've been to Birmingham, of course, you know, but I've not been to Montgomery. I was really surprised by the town. And um, I was surprised by the history too that they were unveiling. I I knew Charleston had the most um, enslaved folks coming through the port, uh, but I did not know that, Montgomery had the highest number of enslaved people working in the country. So there are a lot about Montgomery that just really shocked me and what that museum is doing, putting black folks to work because everybody there who worked were in the bookstore and the and were, they were black. So I think um, what Brian Stevenson has done is shaping and doing some re- reconciliation and some, um, you know, I think that is, you know, you know, putting back money into uh, a place where people, the heirs of that uh, uh, enslaved, you know, I think it's reparation in in, in a sense.
1: Wow, fantastic! Uh, well, yeah, I've got was- a
2: list of I've got like a list of I think maybe twenty five places that I'll be going, um, and
1: uh, I. Oh, it's we'll be- next. We'll be following, and <laughs> you'll be every fourth episode now. I hope you're okay with that.
2: You know, who knew? Like, who knew that this was uh, going to be a thing? You know, um, and it 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 seems connected, Josh, with what you were, uh, and maybe Tom brought it up. This, you know, the uh, what Love has done with Summer of Soul.
0: Yeah, that there that was what I was that- going to talk about. Uh, that I've been devouring. Um, I was, it was on my radar before I saw you also mention it on, on Facebook. And, and then you were, I was like, we're having Glennis on, I've got to, I'm going to watch the movie. And now I've watched it again since then, because it, what a, what an incredible story. Uh, and what an incredible time period of time in was 1969 and the, and that particular thing. And, and just to hear people talk about, um, you know, this was when. I, I, one part of the movie they talk about how the 60s was a time where the the term that black people took on was black as opposed to to where it had been at the beginning of the of that decade negro right right and and, and taking black and and seeing it for um uh, this beautiful cultural con- contributing forceful powerful thing that it that that black has has come to mean and that kind of being a moment of of that and and just being just kind of just blown away and being like, wow, I just, I get, I got something new out of that understanding of watching them from watching the movie than, than before, you know? Well, I
2: remember the transition from Negro to black and I, cause I was born in 1963. And so we were called Negro at the time. And um, Negro is a hard term. And even on my birth certificate born in 1963 in South Carolina, my race classification is not Negro, it's Negroid. Oh, okay which is is tough yeah. to swallow, you know? And so um, coming of age and when Negro turns to black, there is affirmation in that terminology and, and you could see it in that festival, you know? And the fact that that festival was pretty much forgotten and erased until Questlove, you know, said, you know, what what about this footage? I mean, here's, Woodstock, and this happened virtually at the same time and no play. And that is our culture. To me, it's emblematic of what has happened to Black people in America. And sure. I think the thing that I took away from it was, okay, now you got Mahalia Jackson, the Edwin Hawkins singers, Stevie Wonder, um, Sly, you know, you got all of these folks. It was just like glowing. blowing. And the, but the moment that really took my lid off was, Stevie Wonder making his debut, playing the drums and the harmonica. And they're saying at that particular time is the moment when they had the moon landing. Right. And they were showing the moon landing and all of the residents of Harlem booed the moon landing Mm -hmm. because of the poverty in the black community. You're putting people on the moon And we can't even feed our children, and I just said, "Wow, that just blew me away." As well as the music, but there was so there was so much. It wasn't just it's outside of a music festival. Well, I mean, then speaking of North Carolina, and then Nina Simone on there as well. Like,
0: oh yeah, well, and there's the parallel today. To we've got billionaires who are now making their way to outer space, while still there's so much suffering and inequality and the lack of opportunity for so many people uh, that, you know, that it it is so frustrating to see how it is, it is so promising in some ways to see how far we've come and also so frustrating to see how little how little progress that we've made on some of these fronts, you know?
2: Right. Well, it's the systemic tone deafness. And then it's the purposeful erasure of people. Like, you know, that's the part that and and I'm not even just speaking of the black community. I'm speaking of many different regions of the uh of America and um the, the plight because you know at the same time we had the Native American um the unearthing yeah, of the uh children that they're finding. You know, just so this the stuff on top of that is really we have to and as a poet and um I think it's important to witness and I think to get back to what Tom was asking about you know were you just in you know there for the experience and it's like yeah that witnessing is a really powerful you know aspect of not the, just the artist but as a person who hopes that we can get to a better place I mean
0: I think that there's something cosmic to it, because I I think of humans as kind of like nodes of knowledge and that whether you ever write it down or put it in a song or whatever, you still know it and you see it and you acknowledge it and you learn it. Then there's something really powerful about holding that knowledge, even if it's just inside you or because then you have the potential to also share that knowledge with another, another node, something else that's walking around. So, so like our connected, uh, intelligence grows when we go and we experience something like that. I know? think you're
2: speaking my language. I, I love the <laughs> nodes. I love nodes of knowledge. I do feel like that's where the hope and this interconnectivity comes from, you know, uh, because you can, you know, I, I, I've I had a moment, and I don't know if I talked about this last time I was on, where at the at the top of my neighborhood, it's not in my neighborhood, at the top of my neighborhood, there's a banner of a, a, a Trump, there's a Trump with a machine gun and no bullshitting. Like that's, so I have to walk past, that's what it says. And I have to walk past that with my six-year-old uh, grandson when we're just out trying to like have a great time, just enjoy life and then he can read and he has to ask me about the weapon, mm-hmm. the language and the man. And I'm going, number one, I don't wanna be in the position to have to talk to this baby about this right now. Right. So one of the things that happened about six months ago, the neighbor right next to them put up a one Greenville sign and it's a black hand and it's a white hand and it's in the shape of a heart and in the middle is a bridge. And I was like, we went on our walk and was like, I took this sigh of relief of Mm -hmm. this just like, oh my gosh. You know, thank you for the sign, and me being who I am because I can't stay in my own lane. Um, write a, I write a thank you note to this <laughs> neighbor who I don't know, right? And just said, I just want to thank you for your sign, and it's a r- lovely life lesson to my six-year-old, you know, grandson. And I put it out on their um, mailbox. Well, I drove by there like. For three days, they didn't see it because it was like, I didn't want to put it because it's illegal to put it in some milk, but it was on that red flag and it's raining. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're never going to get it, you know? And then it's so weird. uh, Fourth of July, my neighbors had uh, a gathering and I didn't want to go. I was trying to, you know, chill out, whatever. And then I liked my neighbors who invited me. So I went and then somebody pointed out, like, that's Glennis, And they're like, we needed to meet Glennis." your note, we keep it on our refrigerator. It means to meet us. And I go, that to me, that kind of individual, like, you know, they didn't have to put that sign and it's a little act, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But it just reverberated.
0: Yeah, they nice.
2: They're, they're telling their neighbors, I'm telling my neighbors, I'm posting on Facebook, and you know we find each other through this connectivity.
1: Uh, I wanted to circle back and talk about the two things to so both uh, Brian Stevenson and Questlove. So when you have a chance to present something that is this important, you just want to make sure that it's done right. It sounds like everything you're saying about how Brian Stevenson put this together. So just to focus on Questlove and get just a little. So this is Summer of Soul. This is a movie. Uh, this you know kind of found footage of the Harlem Cultural Festival, 1969. Um, And he sort of finds this footage that's been sitting somewhere uh, and just can't believe it. But the sound quality, the picture, I mean, it is just so well done. It would have been enough just to have been like, oh, look here. But everything just sounds so great. So you feel like you were there because the production value is so crisp and excellent that uh, I just love that it wasn't just enough to, uh, oh, look what I found. But I don't know what processing they did, but it's it's incredible the, the quality of the film
2: you're exactly right i i found like it just it it holds up like it is um it was a beautiful experience and i'm like how dare they not hear that like what is it 50 50, was it 50 years later like you know i'm just and i'm not a music head like my brother so i call my brother new zealand who is a music head who will know everybody and everybody who you know whatever but he can't get it because he's in New Zealand, and so he's, you know, trying to figure out how he can see it. But I'm like, you man, you have to witness how well it was done. And I, you know, um, Tom, you're right because I feel like what Brian Stevenson and Questlove have in common is they've done something um, in a stellar um, manner to uh, to elevate and um, bring about awareness and to make uh, positive change in very different ways but in similar um, aspects of creating um, positivity and allowing people to make pathways to each other. Like, how, do, how, how much more do we connect than music?
0: Mm-hmm. You know, other
2: than you, you and country music, but, you know, uh,
0: <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? But I noticed also that, you know, there, the, there's all, they also go into the New uh community as well. And yes. uh, and one of my one of my comments coming out of the movie movie, not to make light of it, but Lynn Manuel Miranda is in there. And I'm starting to think, Lin Manuel Miranda, does he ever say no to anything? I mean, he's I know. in everything, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Like, well, I, I keep I keep thinking I'm gonna open a door one day to the grocery store and there's yeah. lin Manuel Miranda, you know? <laughs> yeah.
2: That was the one moment I was like, I did have a question mark about his actual <laughs> appearance, because I'm like, but I don't know, I guess <laughs> yeah. there is a musical connection, right? But I, yeah. I did
0: yeah, and, I was, and the Latin connection, I think the Latin
2: connection. There was a there Latin, Latin, But Latin. I was just wondering, was there someone else that probably was a little bit more embedded? You know, um, <laughs> I
0: don't know. But you're right,
2: he's everywhere.
0: <laughs> he's just everywhere. Yeah. If we could he's put probably him
2: selling in, jello.
0: <laughs> very well could be. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But. Well, Glennis, thank you for coming on with us today. We really appreciate all of your time. Um, and and it's just such an honor to have you on. And and thank you for sharing your journey with us. And, uh, and keep us informed. If people would like to follow you and uh, keep up with what you're doing, which, is there anything you'd like to share um, right now?
2: Uh, yeah, so you can follow me on my website. I, I, I do a very inconsistent newsletter. Um, I try uh, monthly to put out what I'm doing. Uh, one of the projects that I'm really interested in that I just finished um, is with uh, North Carolina visual artist, Julian Davis. Um, and I did a poem called Afro Carolinian uh, uh, Mermaid tail Simbi. And he has painted Simbi, and I have done a poem. It's actually, I've got the sample now, but it's through citizen vinyl. Oh, and cool. So it's on
0: vinyl. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Gotcha. So it's just two poems, and one is uh, the Simbi poem, and then which is about a mythological mermaid um, from Africa that the enslaved folks um, honored and would not work as long as she was captured in lower country in Charleston. And on the other side is a poem called Black Folks Superstitions, um, all about mythology and superstition and all of that. So there will be a date, um, we haven't set the date, that we'll be doing something at
1: Citizen Vinyl. So I'm excited. Oh, yay. that's so great. So we get to brag on some other past guests. So uh, uh, Gar Raglin from Citizen Vital has been on the podcast with us. Yeah, I saw that. Going back to uh, Summer of Soul, uh, Jessica Thomason, who does the Connect Beyond Festival. She did a great screening here in the area with uh, Gladys Knight um, there for the Q&A afterwards that I just, I think was amazing to to be a part of. So uh, I love that you're giving us reasons to mention some of our other favorite guests. I mean, you're still... You're the only repeat one so far. Yeah, I'm in the
2: room. I know you have to say that. It's like what my mother says. I'm only a favorite when I'm with her. Uh, But it's
1: okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. Scoreboard, (laughs) scoreboard. Only two times. But uh, great. Uh, It was well worth the second visit. And we're so glad that you were here. And we can't wait to uh, get get you back again.
2: Well, thank you for inviting me again. And um, honestly, finding value in my path. And this connection um, and thank you all for what you do because I feel like you know in this world of um, upside downness we have to find um, avenues and platforms and spaces that right the world and I want to thank you for talking about what we devour because um, you know that's important <laughs> and um, we're you know and that's what keeps me alive and awake is thinking about what i'm going to devour next you know (laughs) that's
0: right well thank you glennis um for those of you who have stuck with us this long we hope that you'll also stick with us after the break where i will bring an original song as i do every week and we'll also have a take from tom and uh bye for now thank you thank you glennis thank you goodbye right well that was glennis redmond tom so good yeah she's just what a powerhouse yes what an amazing person to have have the privilege to know and to um to learn from and to get to know a little bit on our podcast i'm so excited for her reading at citizen vinyl coming up in the fall so boom there we go yes but uh also we need to hear from you tom uh so boom here you go take it away tom uh boom 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 jumping off of seeing summer of soul which
1: again was fantastic but um uh, watching it which takes place uh, in harlem and basically like the northern edge of the park and uh, otherwise i was like that's that's where i spent so many years i went to college at columbia which is just sort of on the edge of harlem uh, on the west side of manhattan and then uh, staying there after school and finding affordable places to live and then seeing, you know, neighborhood shift. I just spent a lot of time there and it's just great. Uh, so that's my uh, take for today as they recommend sort of Peace Corps that you should go spend two years of service. Like, I, I agree, but if there's any way that I think you should spend one year of service in a city, in an urban environment, and then one year of service in a, a rural, like on, on a farm or you know forestry or something like that because both are I had no idea experiences. So yeah, I, I loved my time in Manhattan. I loved interacting with Harlem and Spanish Harlem and, 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 and all that and uh, you know, so some of the threats and discomforts are, are certainly there, but the, the, the full experience is fantastic. So that's that's what I think everyone should do is uh, before, <laughs> be forced, um, encouraged to spend some time in, in a city and then some time
0: in the opposite of a city. It's like the Aesop fable the city mouse and the country mouse but you should be both mouses be be the mouse perhaps is the story there uh that is the story um and josh i feel like it's been a little while since i I, i've heard a a josh song so uh, what do we got this week uh so this one was uh, is built on the idea of uh with your hands and uh yeah i mean i'm still kind of working out the details it's a shorter one but here we go With your hands you could move a mountain, with your hands you could bend steel, with your hands you can make another feel the way they ought to feel. With your hands you can do kindness, with your hands you can be cruel, with your hands you can make most anything, a weapon or a tool. There's power in temptation for woman and for man there's power in the world you choose to make with your hands with your hands clasped tied together you can lift your voice in prayer with your hands held wide and open you can offer peace to share with your hands you can be counted and do the counting too With your hands you can join others just like you were meant to do. Oh, there's power in persuasion for woman and for man. And there's power in the world you choose to make with your hands. Yoo-hoo. All right. Well, you played uh, that with your hands. Nice. I played that with my hands. That's right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Tom, for uh, for playing along with the game this week. And uh, we'll see folks uh, right around the bend. Bye-bye now.
1: Until again. Nom, 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 nom.